Podcasts aren't the future of radio. They're the present. You are about to listen to a ministry-approved podcast. For more great audio entertainment, visit ministryofpodcasts.com. And now, your feature presentation. Previously on Paul the Book Guy. So apparently Paramount sent a representative with an offer, which matched his offer, or matched what he wanted. Uh, they sent over a guy, an actor dressed as a goat herder with goats to his office and a $20 million bonus. You know, and, and as Greg said the other day, they had me at goats. You know? They had me at the goats. Brought to you by Audible. Go to paulthebookguy.com slash audible and get a free book just for signing up for a free trial. Paul the Book Guy. Hi everybody, this is episode 002 of the Paul the Book Guy Show. My name is Paul Alves. Paul the Book Guy. I'm Chris Jager. Chris Jager. I'm Greg Ott. Greg Ott. And welcome back, constant readers, for another episode of Books, Audiobooks, Audio Dramas, and Podcasts. Now, as you heard in that previously on Paul the Book Guy last week, we were, uh, that was actually talking about Sasha Baron Cohen's uh, new movie and the way that Paramount uh, got him to sign the contract. And we had a few Twitter comments from people who didn't believe the story. So I went back, and we all, all three of us went back and triple and quadruple checked the sources. Not only was that story accurate, we have another fact to add. The goats were wearing Paramount T-shirts. Now, I wonder what those T-shirts are going to go for on eBay. Now, one thing last week where we did get our facts wrong, and this was a biggie, guys, and, and I'm sorry for having confused George Guadal and Frank Muller and, and all the details on this. My apologies. It was Frank Muller who had, like Greg said, the motorcycle accident in the middle of the Dark Tower series. The rumors of George Guadal's and Frank Muller's death were greatly ex- exaggerated as far as it happening during the Dark Tower series. Uh, I'm very sorry, George. If you're ever in Toronto, you're invited to Book Central, where the drinks will be on us. So what's going on, guys? What are we reading? What's new? I got uh, Direct to 51, which was my first audiobook. It I, sucked. The, I hated the experience. I went out finally and got the book myself so I could finish reading it. Also, I uh, went through the Adjustment Bureau this week. Greg, what do you got? Well, I'm still listening to uh, Book 6 of the Dark Tower series, uh, Song of Susanna, and I'm... Uh, just about done with that one. And when I say just about done, I got about an hour left and I'm really done. A lot, could, a lot of people say that is the slowest book of the series. So. Slow. slow. I am done with it. I I've just got, want it to be over. I've got you to dispute, Paul, and this is the, the best um, series in the world, finally. I'm looking for big things in the last hour, that's for sure. <laughs> Seven's good. Seven is yeah. good. I got, another, I got a couple other things I wanted to discuss as well, but I'm, uh, quickly I'm doing the, uh, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and I also picked up uh, Cowboys and Aliens. Oh, nice. I just finished uh, 63 Documents by Jesse, Governor Jesse Ventura, and uh, I'm not sure what's next uh, on my book reading list. Fiction. 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 
Right now, I'm going to talk about a novel, The Ghost of Neil Diamond by David H. Milnes. This is one where I had no idea what I was getting into when I started reading the book, uh, because at the time, there was a lack of description anywhere on the front or back cover. And all I knew about this book, really, was that it was called The Ghost of Neil Diamond. But eh, with a title like that, I just had to read it right away and see what, what was in it. I know myself, I rarely buy a book off a shelf unless I can read a short synopsis of the story. Uh, so completely spoiler-free, I began to read. I knew this one was going to be a good book when I read the opening lines, and here they are. Amen to all sorrows. With a few splashes of cold water, Neil washed away his sins. He watched them slip down the plug hole, one by wretched one. The wrongdoings and the wrong turns, the bad debts and the bad memories sank beyond the U-bend, and his soul lay empty and prepared. A whiff reached him from the urinals, the stale reminder of the catalogue of men who had fallen short just this point. The last call, the swan song. Well, forget them, he decided. They had their lives and this is mine. He lifted his aching head to the mirror. This time. Maybe this time. The ghost of Neil Diamond is a dark, sometimes funny glimpse into the life of Neil Atherton, a British former folk legend and current Neil Diamond impersonator trying to make a lonely living in Hong Kong. Now, now, Chris and Greg, you can forget all the postcards you've ever seen from Hong Kong. This one is set in the seedy back alleys. We follow this, this tragedy of a character, Neil, as he goes from gig to gig, all the while dealing with like money issues. He's got no money for a place to stay, that kind of thing. His failing marriage with his wife. And eventually, Neil meets the shady Albert Chan, who gets him a new gig in town, and that's when the fun begins. Uh, I don't like to put a lot of spoilers in my reviews, and this one's on the site but, uh, so I'm going to leave it there. But if you're a fan of Neil Diamond, you're going to love the references to his work. If you're not a fan, it won't take away from the story because I'm not a fan of Neil Diamond and I know nothing about Neil Diamond. But this was definitely a fascinating ride uh, through the life of Neil Atherton. Dialogue is excellent, very witty. I enjoyed my time with this tragedy of a character, Neil, Neil Atherton. And I was really disappointed when the book ended. I turned the last page hoping that somehow there'd be more and I could spend more, one more day following this fascinating singer along and, and that to me that's when that's when you've enjoyed a book when you turn the last page and say man but what happens next what else could there be the character came alive for you came alive he, he really fleshes out neil atherton very well are, are you saying that it doesn't tie up neatly oh it, t- it ties up great but but uh, uh, without spoiling at the end neil's on his way somewhere and and you're sitting there going Sweet Caroline. <laughs> yeah, write another book. I want to know what happens to Neil Atherton after this. Is there, there's a sequel. I, I would hope so. I would really hope so. Neil Diamond impersonator, not an Elvis impersonator. Why that? No, you know, and that would be the natural thing. But you know what? There would be such a pollution of Elvis books. There's so many Elvis impersonator and Elvis books out there. I think Neil Diamond was a good choice, actually. Bubba Hotep. <laughs> I just didn't know there was money out there. Did, for... did either of you guys see Bubba Hotep? No, I did not. Oh, man, it's it's an Elvis impersonator. Um, Elvis is actually living in a retirement home somewhere in the American South, and his impersonator was actually doing a show for him and died on the crapper. And the real Elvis was actually off, you know, doing his own thing. So now he's ended up in an old age home, and nobody believes that he's Elvis, uh, but he knows he's Elvis. So he's he's in a room with a black guy who's convinced he's JFK. And a mummy escapes <laughs> and starts sucking the souls out of the other old age home residents through their asses. Fantastic movie. 
I can't even lie to you. No, a very, very famous horror director directed it. And it's like an old fashioned horror movie where there's like, it's not all blood and gore. It's all like, you know, creepy and like sneaking around corners and like things jumping out at you. Awesome movie, Bubba Hotep. And that's why we have to do a movie podcast at some point. Hello, I'm David Milnes and I wrote the dark comedy, The Ghost of Neil Diamond, which is not about Neil Diamond at all, but a Neil Diamond impersonator with his back against the Great Wall of China. Paul Alves reviewed my novel here in January. There are now seven reviewers like Paul, from Toronto to Hong Kong, from New York to Dublin, who have written between them more than 4,700 words in praise of this book. So I'd like to send you a copy wherever you are in the world, because I'm so confident you'll enjoy it too. No obligations, no strings or tricks. I have 50 to give away. Please let me know if you'd like a copy at whattradition.com. All one word, two T's in the middle, whattradition.com. Hi, this is Scott Brick, audiobook narrator and harbinger of worldwide audiobook domination, and you're listening to Paul the Book Guy. And Greg, you've got a book for us. Right. As I mentioned, I'm reading The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo by Stieg Larsson. You know, I've, I've watched the movie and I believe that one is this genre. Mystery. Right. I was really interested uh, by the fact I saw the uh, trailer for the movie that's coming out in December. I thought I'd pick it up and uh, I'm about just 200 pages in. Kind of Only lost, 200 right? pages in? Yeah. I got bad news for you. That one really starts slow. I read it, uh, I don't know, yes. month, month or two ago. So, so uh, yeah, you don't get really heavy into the, um, the murder mystery aspect of it until you're 200 pages in. So, tough see, it out. Tough it out. Did you see the trailer? I did see the trailer. Okay. More importantly, did you hear the trailer? It's more important that I heard the trailer. The, the, I gotta, I'm not too keen on seeing the movie. You know, I don't need to see, you know, a long couple hours inside a ass-filled snow-filled ass cave in Sweden. But the, uh, the, tri- the music is Karen O and uh, Trent Reznor yeah. doing Led Zeppelin. How awesome. I wonder if I could convince Karen O to have my children. <laughs> it's it's got to be one of the only trailers I know of that you can play the entire song. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I really like that version of uh, Immigrant Song. Hard to believe that they could do a, a cover that would, you know, grab, grip people. I'm really, um, I'm really liking Trent Reznor's work lately. He's done a lot of good film work. Now, where's Stieg Larsson from? His interesting name. Sweden. Sweden, ah. That's the snow-filled ass cave reference, which is where they filmed the movie too, I think. I'm not going to proceed and read the next two books in the series. I guess we're still looking for a synopsis of what this book is about, right? Murder mystery, uh, mysterious disappearance. Um, yeah, I'm that far. You're that far. There's an uh, extremely rich Swedish family. And we've got our, yeah, our super diligent... We've got our super diligent reporter guy uh, who's been um, contracted by the scion of the rich family to find his missing daughter. And, of course, all sorts of mayhem ensues when uh, our intrepid reporter uncovers all kinds of nasty things in the dark, snow-filled ass cave in Sweden. Now, how, how do, I've only watched the original film. How does the book compare to the film? Didn't see the movie. Can't comment. Ah, okay. Are you, gonna, uh, are you interested at all in watching the new Hollywood production? Mildly, only if uh, only because Karen O is attached to the project. I definitely am. I, I'm interested in seeing Daniel Craig. Yes, James Bond himself. Yeah, or cowboy with a alien wrist thing. 
Which is another book that I'm reading. Which is another book you're reading, Greg. Yeah, another Daniel Craig thing. So would you, you, would you give us a thumbs up on this one, Chris? What kind of, what, what kind of person would be interested? Like what? Uh, this is, um, there's a, uh, a very strong female girl character uh, in the book. Yes. Uh, which a lot of the friends uh, that I have have identified with and think is a, is a fantastic character. Um, it is a, uh, it's a murder mystery. So you proceed through the book uh, through twists and turns, um, uncovering um, a mystery with this reporter, who's sort of the perspective the books uh, the books written from. Nice. I might I might give it a try. There's uh, lots of don't read this one uh, if you're 14 years old. Right, uh, it would be too early for you. There's lots of uh, gratuitous and weird sex. Okay, so not recommended for the kids. Not recommended for the kids. <laughs> Oh, you've just ruined it for me. Greg just started turning pages. It's a tur- page turner for Greg now. <laughs> I'm flipping through for the pictures. What about uh, Cowboys and Aliens, Greg? You got the graphic novel? I got the graphic novel. Uh, yeah, I'm about halfway through that already. And uh, again, saw the trailer in the movies, thought it was a fantastic little concept. Did a little bit of research, realized that it was uh, based on a, uh, a graphic novel by Rosenberg, Van Lent, Foley, Calero, and Lima. And uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. Flipping through it really quickly. It doesn't have the it's not it doesn't have the same thickness as say something like um, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, which is a doorstop, right? No. Or Under the Dome by Stephen King, which you could kill someone with. I'm going to go with uh, the other graphic novel that came to movies in 2010. Watchmen. The Watchmen. Watchmen. Uh, that was a great story. Yeah, Brilliant story. Books on film and television. When Captain America throws his mighty shield, all those who chose to oppose his shield must yield. If he's led to a fight and a duel is due, then the red and the white and the blue will come through when Captain America throws his mighty shield. All right, so what do you guys think of Captain America? They've just uh, announced that uh, there's going to be certain countries that aren't going to carry it as Captain America, the first Avenger. They're just going to title it the first Avenger. I thought America was over being embarrassed of itself, and maybe it, this would be a good time for, you know, another American movie to show up with guy actually waving this star-spangled banner. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to be able to disguise the fact that he's American. He does have a big red, white, and blue shield with a star on it. But uh, apparently, what happens is Paramount usually gives the countries the option of which title to use, and typically, most countries uh, in the past have gone with the the North American release title. However, in this case, Russia, Ukraine, and South Korea have gone with, uh, as I said, the uh, first Avenger. And not only that, but uh, it looks like it's not going to be released at all in China. And what are they going to call in Iraq? Douchebag with a shield? Ba-zing, Paul. Thank you wow. very much. <laughs> Sorry. I'll probably cut we got blue all of a sudden. <laughs> all right. So in China, it, apparently, but it's, it's not so much because of the name. It's just because they only release 20 foreign films per year in China. You realize that? I did not realize no, that. I didn't know that either. Uh, have you seen the trailer? I've seen the trailer. All right. I'm just wondering why they couldn't get John Slattery. Nazis. Yeah, John Slattery from... I just uh, want to see some Nazi ass kicking. <laughs> well, Warren, if you heard of us, you probably heard we ain't in the prisoner taking business. We in the killing Nazi business. And cousin, business is a booming. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is that what we're in for? I, I saw so. a guy like yeah. peel his face back too and there was like red under there. Red Skull. So I don't know. I didn't read the comic books on this one. I've read a lot of comic books, but uh, the the Avenger stuff is uh, is lost on me. Now, without uh, without cussing, um, 
I prefer the version of the trailer was found on YouTube that used Matt and Trey, Matt and Trey from South Park's music. Yeah, that was good. Richard. Look it up. That. Yeah, America. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it at that. What do we got next? We got God's Behaving Badly. It's a novel by Marie Phillips. It's going to be coming out in 2012. They've just signed Christopher Walken, Alicia Silverstone, and John Turturro. It's going to be. Uh, it's an interesting take. It's uh, modern day gods. Uh, released in New York, so it's going to be. It's also got uh, uh, Felicia Rashad, Sharon Stone, Oliver Platt, and uh, Eddie Falco. So it looks like it could be interesting, funny. Amadeus, Amadeus. Oh, sorry, wrong Falco. Wrong Falco. <laughs> yeah, he did too. I just saw um, John Turturro in Transformers 3D. I respected that man. He had a fine acting career. I don't know why he's doing comic turns in 3D movies. I hope this is not one of those. Uh, Coming out in 2012. Any idea to what the movie's... I mean, uh, like Greek gods are... Yeah, Greek gods. So Sharon Stone is cast as Aphrodite. Oliver Platt is Apollo. Eddie Falco is actually going to be Artemides. Oh, I guess I just have no faith in Hollywood anymore, do I? I? I have no faith in this whole 3D thing. I just picture that when people are watching these 3D movies, they're hypnotized like that toad on... Uh, Hypnotoad. Hypnotoad. Thank you. From uh, Futurama. Futurama, right. I just picture everyone sitting in their seats, their eyes are spinning around, and a lot of people who have eyes, some slight eyesight problems like myself can't sit through two hours of that. I don't know. Do you guys find any... Uh... I can do it, but it doesn't... I mean, Avatar was one thing. I mean, you could like feel the texture of like the skin of the animals and like rivets on the spaceship hulls and stuff like that, but uh, I saw it in you know, Transformers 3D, and it's just, eh, you know, you get some tracer bullets firing at you, and you know, there's some spectacular flight sequences, but... Didn't have the same impact. Uh, I'm just, I'm not too keen on the. the well, 3D let, thing. let's admit that both Avatar and, and uh, Transformers and Transformers uh, both needed 3D and laser beams and three dimensional things coming at you. Oh. They definitely were not. We're no, not making no. money on the. We're not making the script. It the, no, it's not on the script. That's for sure. Or the acting. The script could have been written on a napkin and had room left over for a recipe for bagels. On Avatar, really? Yeah, really. See Fern Gully. I've heard that, but you know, I, I just really liked Avatar. I'm sorry. I thought it was good. I, you know, the world was engaging. I liked it in 3D, and I liked it in 3D because that was one of the movies where it didn't feel like... I, 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 I loved it in 3D. I, I agree with I, you. Oh, I thought it was great, too. What does it mean to be judged by your appearance? Because of the assumptions of others. One girl's convictions. And her courage to embrace them supported by her friends, misunderstood by the boy she likes. This is a mild story, telling you to look past the veil and see the person within. That was the trailer for Rand Abdel Fattah's new book, and coming up next is a promo for one that I just finished. Nonfiction. Hi, I'm former Governor Jesse Ventura from Minnesota, and I'd like to introduce you to my new book, 63 Documents the Government Doesn't Want You to Read. And these are all legitimate government documents. We haven't stolen a thing. We just had to dig and find them. And I encourage any American who cares anything about their country, you need to educate yourself. This book is dynamic, but it will also test you, because when you read it, 
you may think you're reading about Nazi Germany, not the United States of America. And it's time that we pay attention, that we become diligent as citizens again, and keep track of what our government does, and not allow them to do many of the things that these documents portray clearly of what they've done over the last 50 years. It's important, people. It's our country, and we have every right to know what our government does, because guess what? They're doing it with your tax money and my tax money. And again, we have every right to know where every single cent of that is spent. So I encourage you, read this book. It was a difficult book to write because it really tested my patriotism to have to read the things that my country has done. But that's the only way, in my opinion, the United States is going to survive is for citizens like us to take our country back again. And in order to do that, you have to be educated. And this book will educate you. Thanks. Hi, this is Michelle Youngstone, author of the debut novel, The Handbook for Lightning Strike Survivors. Publishers Weekly called it one of the top 10 debuts of 2010. It's currently available in paperback. And you are listening to Paul the Book Guy. Hello, this is Harlan Zink from RadioArchives.com with this week's edition of Other Voices, Other Views, a roundup of reviews that have recently been featured at PaulTheBookGuy.com. Today's reviews come from the pen of Phyllis Johnson. We'll begin with a recent nonfiction book written by a remarkable photojournalist. Landing assignments her male colleagues hadn't flying to the Soviet Arctic and then to Europe, seeing an exodus from a country ravaged during the Holocaust. Ruth Gruber was quite a photojournalist. She writes her memoir in Witness and serves as an inspiration to anyone spending his or her life tracking down a story, particularly one that may change someone else's life for the better. A life full of adventure and passion for human justice is evident in her 257-page book, published by Shock and Books. Sometimes smuggling a notebook in her bra, she ran the gamut from studying Eskimos in Alaska to talking to exiled prisoners in Soviet gulag. Photos, black and white images, showing the Soviet Arctic and Alaska documented images of rustic living and reflections of the soul. She wrote of seeing the Aleuts in harm's way of the Japanese, then photographed their exodus. Her photos also show the exodus from the devastation caused by Hitler during the Holocaust in World War II. A master at capturing intense emotion found in hardships, she knew how to get down in the trenches to get the best possible photos to tell a story. She went behind the scenes, sometimes dubbed as a simulated general, to avoid a worse fate if captured as a spy. Later, she got stories from the refugees on board an army transport, and then pulled into the New York Harbor on August 3, 1944, the same day Anne Frank's family was betrayed. Ruth was accompanying to the United States 1,000 refugees, invited by President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, while day and night Adolf Eichmann was rushing cattle trains, carrying 750,000 Jews into the death camps at Auschwitz. She records her travels to Europe, 
the Holy Land, and the Arab world, and how she came to be witness to the Nuremberg trials. Seeing the plight of the Jews trying to come home to Palestine, she interviewed both Arabs and Jews, and followed the journey of Iraqi Jews to Israel. Seeing compassion in a lawyer and social activist named Phil, she was moved to marry him. Ruth Gruber's account of the ongoing struggle for those seeking justice and fair treatment in life is both vivid and poignant in her book, Witness. Next, let's review a recent book of poetry. After reading Vincent Spada's poetry book, One Under the Sun, you'll walk away with a heightened sense of yourself and the world around you. This book contains highly visual images, such as the coffin maker who stacks coffins like pancakes. The syrup that oozes from many poems smacks of a desire for peace and protection for our planet. An idealist, his deep poetry touches your heart and resonates with a desire for truth, true love, and success, all common needs. His empathy rings forth in A Second Time for You, verse written on the desire to take on someone else's pain. An honest commentary, his poems pose reflections on a troubled economy played against the romantic thoughts of a moonlit walk. Vincent writes about the horror of the Holocaust and a world turned upside down. A visionary, his verse is a prediction of sorts, not for the fainted heart. A poem on a disdain for someone who sells his soul for the almighty dollar contrasts with respect for someone who always speaks the truth. Intolerant of war, greed, and cruelty to animals, he has the heart of a romantic whose poem on mermaids shows a softer, sensual side. In Just Tremble for Me, the concept of one under the sun comes full circle. The emotion of prior poetry in its entirety simultaneously reaches a climax like the two lovers in the final poem. Next up, a how-to book that addresses a particularly challenging environment. If peppermint stimulates the brain, then Michael D'Amato's book, The Classroom, must be a peppermint. Written in a refreshing way, this book energizes the teacher to motivate students in the classroom. 83 pages of teaching strategy, D'Amato stresses the firm yet fun mentality. Referring to his plethora of activities, which includes everything from ball play to cards to pantomime, his classroom technique is far from boring. He mentions the use of posters to motivate students and refers to news delivery to parents as a sandwich, discussing up front and at the end of a conversation the positive points while sandwiching the concerns in between. D'Amato points out the importance of note-taking, rewards students for hard work, and emphasizes getting to know the whole student through involvement in club activities. The reader can only imagine the level of enthusiasm in D'Amato's own classroom. The classroom is a wealth of great hands-on activities and brain teasers. These tools are important to foster critical thinking skills. Teachers needing a breath of fresh air in their classroom are advised to get a copy of The Classroom, a great book for teachers and a useful resource to have in a personal collection. Finally, pull up a chair and fix yourself a nice glass of sweet tea. Here's a great read for the summer that you don't want to miss. Sweet Tea and Secrets, 
by award-winning author Nancy Nagel. When Jill decides to go back to Adam's Grove, little does she know that her world is going to be turned upside down in a short amount of time. The only family she has left, Grandma Pearl, the pie-baking, advice-giving matriarch, dies unexpectedly and leaves behind a mystery that ultimately has Jill questioning her current relationship with Bradley Case and the one she left behind, Garrett Malloy, her old flame, brings back to mind some good old times and helps her dig her way out of some narrow escapes. This book involves lots of emotion, love, suspense, treasures, and good old Southern charm. Nancy Nagel writes with a Southern voice, rich with dialogue, vivid imagery, and intrigue that will have you on the edge of your seat and misty-eyed. The first in a series of Adams Grove novels, you'll fall in love with Nancy Nagel's expertise at weaving a wonderful tapestry written from the crossroads of small town and suspense. Buy the book. You won't be disappointed. This has been Other Voices, Other Views. All of today's reviews were written by Phyllis Johnson, whose reviews are regularly posted at paulthebookguy.com. This has been Harlan Zink from radioarchives.com. Be sure to listen to the next podcast of Paul the Book Guy when I'll be back with more news and reviews. Thanks for listening, and bye for now. Thanks, Harlan, and thank you, Phyllis, for all your great reviews on the website. Coming up next, it's... The Think Geek Item of the Week from thinkgeek.com. This week's Think Geek Item of the Week is a book called Sneaky Uses for Everyday Things by Cy Timoni. This one has 80 different things that you can make from household items, uh, including instructions on how to generate battery power with the simple household stuff, transform an FM radio into tower-to-air eavesdropping device, create your own personalized electronic greeting cards, make a fire extinguisher from items in your kitchen, and how to thwart intruders with a single rubber band. It's got a lot of fun stuff in it. It's the kind of book that you can just... uh, It is is a... Bathroom Bible. Anyways, it's a great book. Check it out. Uh, It's a great way to support the show just by going to paulthebookguy.com slash thinkgeek. And that was... The Think Geek Item of the Week from thinkgeek.com Hey, this is Jeff Smith, the guy who does all the jingles from thejeffsmith.com and you're listening to Paul the Book Guy. Coming up next, we're going to take a look at some audio drama. We're not going to be reviewing an audio drama specifically this week. We're going to be looking at Big Finish Productions, a website that sells audio dramas and produces them. And a big part of Big Finish Productions is Nick Briggs, who does some voice acting on the British television show Doctor Who. Now, if you're not familiar with the name Nick Briggs, you may be familiar with the voice acting he does. This is only Rehearsing and action. Negative. No reports of Time Lord. 
the big part of the Dalek is his voice, is the voice. We are beyond the Doctor's reach. The person who realises that really is Nick Briggs. He's a genius. He sits at the side of the set um, and delivers a completely chilling performance. The Doctor cannot stop us. Nick's involvement begins months before shooting when the cast gathers for a first read-through of the script. Nick comes to the read-through with his, with his ring modulator. Jacqueline. Gary Milner. Nick Briggs. <laughs> <laughs> and he sets up a little speaker and he sits there and he patiently waits for the first Dalek line to come around, knowing that when it does and when he first booms across that read-through room, he's going to get a shiver of delight from everyone in the room. I'm receiving a communication from the Earthbound ships that have a message for the human race. We'll put it through, let's hear it. Exterminate! 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 <laughs> 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 to suddenly hear it being created live, still... Uh, it still, certainly still gives me a free song every time it happens. Dalek fleet in battle formation. All systems locked and bright. Crucible at 90% efficiency. The human office will commence. People never seem to tire of it. I know on the first one when I did it, you know, Christopher Eccleston, who'd never heard that before, he suddenly just stopped at his tracks and couldn't carry on and said, I wasn't expecting that. And likewise, this time. Commence the landings. Bring the I mean, it's lovely for an actor's ego. I got a huge round of applause on my first line, and then any little different nuance I did, that another round of applause. No, the Daleks are masters of Earth! Daleks are masters of Earth! <laughs> I'm wearing a massive multiplication shot of the Daleks on the floor, everywhere, all chanting. Everyone together It makes the job more interesting when there's a further development of the Daleks. So with the Dalek Supreme and Dalek Khan having gone completely bonkers this time, you know, there's, there's a lot to think about and a lot to do, and that, that makes it... I mean, I love... Don't get me wrong, I love doing the whole exterminate and we obey and barking out commands. That that's, has uh, a fun aspect all of its own, especially since the Daleks are so cross all the time. Supreme Dalek on the bridge! But the, the Dalek Supreme... He is uh, rather... He, I think he's got a very high opinion of himself, so he has a kind of grand way of speaking, and he kind of thinks he's the boss of everything. Emergency! Locate the TARDIS! Find the Doctor! And then further along that scale is uh, Dalek Khan, who's been through the Time War and back, and goodness knows where else. <laughs> and he's sort of all in bits and sort of hanging there. And it's said in the script that he has this kind of strange musical quality to his voice. I flew into the wild and fire. Because his mind has just been blown by all this incredible experience he's been through. It's like all the, the neurons in his brain are firing in really weird directions, so he is all over the place. He danced and died a thousand times. And he has this ridiculous giggle, and that was the thing that always got me into it. And Graham Harper, the director, kept saying, more giggling, I like the giggling, you know. So,
That's Nick Briggs, and he, he does uh, some of the voicing for the BBC uh, Doctor Who, and uh, we're trying to get him on to a future podcast to talk to us about his voice work. I watched Doctor Who when I was eight. I got to say, it brought back memories for... <laughs> I, I bet you if there were any kids within, within reach of the podcast, they were, they were heading for oh, behind the sofa. The yeah, I, it, the theme song used to scare the poop out of me, so I'd, I'd never watch it. Paul, do you have any clips from BigFinish.com? I've got a variety of clips, and we'll play them right now. A 21st century obsession, Leela. Let's go to the moon. What? The moon? You really are totally bonkers, aren't you? Who said it was 2015? Well, what's a decade between friends? It's a slight overshoot, that's all. Uh, this is Martin's Lane, isn't it? I thought I might catch a match in there. What? Come on, quick! That should scramble the locking mechanism. It does not matter. Those Daleks will blast the door down with their weapons. Yes, it's only a matter of time. Prisoners have activated transmat beam. Exterminate! <laughs> Nobody here is going to get killed until On I... On the contrary, unless you let me stop whatever it is the Daleks are about to do, everyone's going to get killed. That's better. Hello. You have tricked the machine. Possibly. The Whitechapel Murders. Can you not bring yourself to say Ripper? You intend to continue, then? I intend to continue with what I've been doing for these many years now, taking a lively interest in and pitting my wits against apparently insoluble crime. Where does your duty lie, man? My duty and my conscience lie here, within my breast. Who's there? Mr Holmes, may I speak with you? I would seem to have no choice, madam. Forgive me. I wouldn't bother you like this unless it was desperately urgent. She is our last surviving link. But to what? God only knows. And perhaps the devil, too. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Christ, have mercy on me. Thus, the spilling of blood was avenged by the spilling of blood uniting in the act. This is the house of God. Then oh, he better turn the other way. It is impossible. It happened. Fidelity. No! Fidelity. No! Holmes and the Ripper. So, uh, Doctor Who is is a big part of what Big Finish does, and, and what they do actually is uh, take some of the older actors that play the Doctor, because there's been quite a few, and make new audio dramas based on that character. And now, some of these actors no longer resemble the the young twenty five year old man that that roamed around the universe, you know, kicking ass and taking names, you know, they beer belly or they, they, you know, they've gotten older, but their voices are still have the same intonation. They, they're still recognizable instantly and they still know how to play the part. So what Big Finish does is takes them and makes new adventures. If you were a fan as a kid and you enjoyed this doctor or that doctor, or this actor that played him, you can pick up an audio drama or 10 or 20 of them with the, with your favorite actor and just go into the theater of the mind Put the headphones on, and you've got brand new adventures with your with your old doctors. And and not only that, but they they do other things. They do Sherlock Holmes, and I know you guys were looking at the website. Theater of the Mind was that a word slip there, Paul, or did you actually listen to Theater of the Mind? I did. Chum FM. Chum FM. Theater of the Mind. Late night. So if they would yeah. bring back like some episodes of like Harry Lime or The Third Man or 
If you can name the show that was on before Theater of the Mind, I'll pour you another rum and we'll pause recording. It's easy. Dr. Demento. Dr. Dr. Demento. Demento. That's right. You were making fish head jokes last week, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, we were. They I didn't make you it to tweeted, <laughs> You tweeted it out. Yes. Fish heads, fish heads, roly-poly fish heads, fish heads, fish heads, eat them up, yum. Fish heads, fish heads, roly-poly Laughing happy fish heads in the evening, floating in the soup. For a list of books and other items discussed on this podcast, go to paulthebookguy.com slash show notes. Who wants kids' books? Now, Greg, I know you and I listen to Uncle Leo all the time on the Twit Network. Made him a sign. You did make him a sign. And it is prominently featured behind him on every Twit podcast when he's there. When Uncle he's Leo, lads, come on, fill me in. Leo Laporte runs the This Week in Tech Network. Uh, it's grown so quickly. He used to be on, what was that, uh, was the network? Was G4 Tech TV. G4 Tech TV, and, and things fell apart there. And he said, you know what? Things are moving on. Podcasts are, aren't the future. They're the present, like we say over at Ministry of Podcasts. And he just started his own thing, and he slowly went with audio and eventually to video. He had the only show that was actually making any money, his uh, Call for Help program. Absolutely. And he's building, now he's building a new studio, the, uh, the, the Twit Brick House. And uh, he's got, basically, Chris, he does all the tech stuff. There's a reason I, I would, you guys... Please feel free to start your own tech podcast. I see no need. He's got it covered, whether it's Mac, PC, Gizmos. Uh, he's even got a This Week in Law, photography. And here is a short clip of Uncle Leo reading The True Story of Little Golden Hood by Andrew Lang. No answer. He knocks louder. Nobody. Then he stands up on end, puts his two forepaws in the latch, and the door opens. Not a soul in the house. The old woman had risen early to sell herbs in the town, and she had gone off in such haste that she had left her bed unmade with her great nightcap on the pillow. Good, said the wolf to himself. I know what I'll do. He shuts the door, pulls on the grandmother's nightcap down to his eyes, then he lies down all his length in the bed and draws the curtains. In the meantime, the good Blanchette went quietly on her way, as little girls do, amusing herself here and there by picking Easter daisies, watching the little birds making their nests, and running after the butterflies which fluttered in the sunshine. At last, she arrives at the door. Now, as, as you guys can hear, he's, he's got the voice for radio. He's got the voice for audiobooks. What kind of herbs was the old lady selling in the town? Probably hoolage. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's, that's the, the true story of Golden Hood, read by Leo Laporte. You can search for it on Audible. You know, this is another case where it, it, we always talk about these big, massive door stoppers with Susan Collins and Steve Larson, these, Stephen King, all these things. But another source for books for kids and, and another way for them to get involved in reading is, is to go to Audible. They do have a fantastic library of kids' books, and they're not all read by Samuel L. Jackson either. <laughs> right. He's coming up next. But uh, another... Uh, 
book news. It's, it's been a while since this feature's been out on iTunes. And uh, going with what you were just saying, Greg, the new iBook store app or the new iBooks app has got this phenomenal feature directed specifically at children, young children who are just barely able to read, where you can buy the book so it is displayed on the iPad and it synchronizes with an audiobook version. So the child who is just beginning to read, as the narrator is speaking, each word is highlighted precisely, timed to the person reading. So for you or I, useless. For a child just learning to associate what a word looks like with the word, with the meaning of the word, phenomenal. Didn't you show me an app like that on your iPad, the One Fish, Two Fish? That- oh, oh, yes. There's a lot of separate apps that have these features. Uh, uh, my friend's daughter, she loves like the Cat in the Hat app and the, and the Alice in Wonderland app. And, and even before, she's starting to grasp the concept of, of, of what a word means and A, B, C, D, E, F, G. But even before then, she, some of these apps are great in highlighting the words. Slowly, Nero associates the words with the meaning, with the, uh, the spoken, how it sounds. And there's imagery, there's touch factors on it. I think, I actually think the iPad is one of the greatest children's toys ever invented. I, I mean, I don't know if Apple did it intentionally or if they worked with these app developers, but it's become one of the greatest children's and educational reading toy around, really. I agree. I totally agree. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing some of these things, some of the more progressive towns and states uh, or even provinces or cities, whatever we want, whatever regions. Uh, start incorporating iPads and, and, and other e-readers into their schools to see how this works. I think, you know, you're a couple of years away, but having that tool there is going to be uh, fantastic. And, and, and it can go all the way down to the kindergarten level, as you, as you said. And, and I know that uh, your children as well, your, your two little girls, they play with your iPod, your iPhone. Yes. And they have apps. And, and I'm not sure they're not all educational. I'm sure some of it's, you know, harvesting Smurf berries. But are Smurf there any berries, educational yeah. apps that they... They fancy or uh, no? They're they're more Smurf berries. Like the Smurf berry. yeah. <laughs> so we got to work some educational stuff into the Smurf berry apps. Now, now, folks, remember we're talking about kids' books uh, mostly for the benefit of the parents in the audience. Uh, Chris and I are not parents. Greg is. Greg is mm-hmm. a parent. And remember, this podcast is flagged explicit because even though we're talking about books for your kids, we're we're going to do things like Audible Inc. presents Go the f- to Sleep. Written by Adam Mansbach. So this, this one is a book. It's written in the style of a lullaby, but certainly do not read this to your children. The story behind this book is there's a gentleman, Adam Mansbach. He wrote this lullaby for parents. And I know, Greg, you're a parent. Have there ever been those moments where you just want the kids to go to sleep? Please, for the love of Christ, go to sleep. I can't explain to you how many times. Oh, so that's what touched the nerve with a lot of people. Adam Mansbach wrote a PDF for free. Put it on the internet. It's, it, it translates to a five-minute audiobook. It's, it's a quick read. It's a one-minute read. They put it on the internet, and so many parents read this and were fascinated by it and, and could connect with what he was saying that they started emailing him and saying, Mr. Mansbach, do you have a, a paper copy I can buy? And, and thousands, thousands turned to 10,000s to hundreds of thousands of emails to the point where he got published. And he has sold millions. He's a New York Times best-selling author. He was the number one selling book on Amazon for weeks on end. And his book is called Go the Fuck to Sleep. Now, it's become an audiobook, and it became news on Paul the Book. As soon as I found out, I 
tweeted it out. Could you guys take a guess who would be the ultimate audiobook reader to read Go the Fuck to Sleep? Samuel L. Jackson. Here's the clip. All the kids from daycare are in dreamland. The froggy has made his last leap. Hell no, you can't go to the bathroom. You know where you can go? The f*** to sleep. All right, now, you guys not being parents, you might not understand the, the absolute brilliance of this. Is I think anybody who has kids will, will, their kids have come to them with every situation that Samuel L. Jackson reads in here. And that's the brilliance of the writing here. It's, it's just, it's, these are real things, and every parent's going to go, oh, yes, when what? they come for the glass of water. No, you can't have another glass of water. What else? What else is there? Glass of water. That's the only one I know. Glass of water. Can I have my teddy bear? All the all these things. All the th- all the things that your kid just wants before they go to sleep. <laughs> so so that that is there is that connection there. Yeah. And this one is actually uh, if you're already an Audible member, and I hope you are, it's free. Audible said, you know what? We're gonna hire Samuel Jackson. Pay for it. It's free. Not to, not to overcorrect you, but there, but that's only free till July 14th. Oh, we better rush. That's coming up quick. Yeah. But again, most of Audible's short things like that are 99 cents or 49 cents. Free. It's definitely worth it. The kids stuff is is typically really inexpensive. And remember, not for kids, please. It's for the enjoyment, for a a quick giggle between a a husband and a wife. (laughs) But it's basically not for kids. Not recommended. Definitely recommended for parents. (laughs) Now, Chris, I know you started off on an audiobook last week that I recommended to you, but I saw you walk in today carrying a paper book version of the same thing. I know that Greg and I have no problem with audiobooks. I know you've got this whole anti-audiobook thing. And when I saw you walking in with that uh, hardcover of John Barnes, Directive 51, which is in the genre of science fiction. I thought to myself, ah, Chris gave up again. Gave up. I, I gave it an honest college try. We're talking 17 CDs. I had uh, a, drive, a camp, drive up for a camping trip. I cranked about halfway through it on the actual audio CD and then just couldn't take it anymore. Went, it to, went out and got the, the hardcover of Directive 51. Uh, you know what? I, and I have to say, if you're sending us any uh, review copies of books, it's 2011. Email me a link to the MP3s. I know a lot of this, Chris, we don't do any show prep, as you can probably tell sometimes when you listen. We, but the whole thing is, I know that when I get those CDs, 27 CDs to convert them, what I usually do is go to Audible and just buy the freaking thing. Am I wrong? Absolutely. You it's, gave up I, on I tried, converting. I yeah. tried converting it, so then I actually started listening to the complete CDs. And it was just, it was a mess. And finally, and, I couldn't take it anymore, and I went and I got the book. And how do you find a portable CD player nowadays and afford the batteries to run it. You have to a go to an what? antique store. A portable CD player? What? what? <laughs> you have to go to the that? antique store, buy the CD player, and then it's going to cost you $953.76 Canadian. It's right beside to the listen Zoom. To it. yeah, it's right, right beside the Zunes. It's by the Zunes, yeah. However, I did digest uh, all of Directive 51 this week. Um, Tell me about it. End of the World book. What was the last Please. End of the World book you read, Greg? I think I'm reading one right now, yeah, with the Dark Tower. Is that an end of the world book? So I've been told. <laughs> Paul, how about you? End of the world book you, that, you, that you read? Uh, 
I, I, I enjoyed Directive 51 a while ago, but uh, yeah, End of the World. And I think it has an interesting twist. What do we got? For our, usually for the End of the World books, we have you know nuclear apocalypse, uh, zombies. Uh, what else? Those are all good things. Technology going down, the Technology, power going oh yes, down. The, yes, the, robots. Uh, the robots take over the world. So this is actually what I enjoyed most about Directive 51. There's this novel, uh, twist. novel scenario about how the world actually ends. Now, now, a lot of this is the... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Carry on. A, a lot of this, the one unique idea that's in this thing is that oil is gone, plastic is gone. Yeah, let's give fair, fair credence to something like... Uh, Let me sign the spoiler warning. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put in a, a warning bell know, Paul, before I say that. I'm going to go through this book, all right? I mean, you don't like to give books away. I'm going to talk about the book. I'm going to talk about how it was... Hang on one sec. You hear the cloister bell? That's the spoiler warning. All right, go ahead, Chris. I'm going to come out right here with a selection from the book that's going to give away... Ooh, a reading. A good section of You're it. reading from the book by I'm Chris Jager. The, the world ends in Directive 51... As a, as a cause of uh, a a program called Daybreak, so Daybreak was more or less like a cluster of obsessive, self-reinforcing thoughts that kept recopying and refining and becoming sharper and clearer while getting more detached from reality. In much the same way that, oh, for example, some of you might be unable to stop wondering whether a coworker doesn't like you or a persistent high school memory might come back to you over and over. That can happen just as easily, maybe more easily, in a group conversation as it can in a mind and a private thought. Haven't we all been in a conversation that turned to an ID fixe where there's where no matter what you tried to change the subject to, everyone ended up talking about the same thing? But the modern world improved everything, or at least made it more effective. The internet came along and made it possible for a conversation to go on like that for 24-7, 365, with thousands instead of a dozen participants, and maybe a lot of the meditation and hypnosis and feedback, biofeedback tactics for focusing attention found their way out of Eastern philosophy, and a lot of tactics, tactics for making an idea compelling found their way out of Western advertising. And one bright day, you had a great big idea that was running on so many brains and on so many computers at the same time that it was beginning to think itself. Unfortunately, it was an idea that's been around since Rousseau or earlier, Civilized self-hatred. The modern world created the perfect environment for the growth and flourishing of a general feeling that the modern world had to go. Are you saying that it was like a suicidal obsession, Lenny said? Depressive thinking that got out of hand? Cam asked me the same question and he said, Yeah, I always came to the same answer. I think Daybreak was like an immense death wish of, by, and for our whole global civilization. Furthermore, it has succeeded. It's self-cured the same way a lot of suicidal obsessions do. It actually pulled the trigger and killed the system it was running on. So that's the, the key notion to the whole book is that there is an idea that is thought by the system, not by a load of individual minds. So there is a notion in the book called the new sphere, which is the collection of sort of individual, sort of the collection of thought in general around the planet and this is being amplified and multiplied by uh cell phones computers what have you right. and this system took on the notion of self-destruction and individuals adopted the notion of self-destruction and carried out the system's wish so these groups uh, be it you know islamic terrorist groups or right-wing christian groups or extremist environmental groups 
they all thought they were working on their own programs of right. changing the world and ended up destroying the world as a whole with or through the mechanism of uh, nanotech or a nanoswarm and a biosphere. Right. And they, these nanotech and nanoswarm, uh, they destroyed electronics and they destroyed oil and plastic. So that left us to a, a world of sort of moccasins and black powder guns and... The most original premise in this book that makes it a unique end-of-the-world apocalypse novel is the, the fact that, uh, well, there's two of them. One, that nobody planned this. It was, not a, it was not a national effort. That we as humanity, in the back of our minds, all work towards this goal of destroying technology and going back to the way of the, you know, you reap what you sow and, and no technology. And two, the fact that there's the organism that attacks oil. And we've never, I've, I, well, I've never seen that in an apocalypse or end of the world novel where oil is targeted in plastics and... and Andromeda strain. Right. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. 19, what was it? Late <laughs> 60s, uh, Michael Crichton. But it was, it, was a good, um, it was a good modification of that theory. And I have to say, what really sets apart the end of the world books for me is you know, the method of the end of the world. And I really enjoyed uh, Barnes... Uh, elaboration of the theory it was it's a very complicated and technical discussion if you don't have the patience uh to put together a lot of jigsaw puzzle pieces to follow barnes along i mean there's there's a lot of talk about science there's a lot of talk about nanobots there's a lot of talk about you know biological organisms replicating it, it's it's a slog that way but it is fun to read and fun to think about and it's very well extrapolated in the book greg so this is like, um, so what you're basically telling me is that this, uh, everybody has sort of an anti-technology thought in the back of their head or they're actually, everybody's kind of working towards... Right, there's no boogeyman. Well, the, there's a hypothesized boogeyman, but there's no boogeyman in the novel. It's just that everyone, at, collectively... The world's self, self-conscious destroys itself. Now, is this something that's so far-fetched in that currently we're going more towards wind power, solar power, uh, more aqua power? Exactly. At any cost. It's not that far-fetched. Where a collective consciousness can go towards a goal, whether they know it or not, which we're doing now, which is let's do solar, even though coal is is cheaper and and more efficient, whether nuclear is dangerous or not, we don't care because it's it's supposedly better for the environment. And we we are doing these things in in the back of our minds, uh, regardless of cost or efficiency or whatever, we're slowly kind of going there. Are we not, Chris? That's not the point of the book. The point of the book was was that the the world's self-consciousness destroys itself. It committed suicide. Right, he calls it a system artifact, like in a a computer where a Uh, program... Let's not get too technical... But in the first 200 pages of the book, uh, the world commits its own suicide. And right. then, now the, re- the, the second half of the book uh, is the resolution of this sort of global suicide. This is where the book really kind of fell apart for me. Uh, the Directive 51 refers directly to Directive 51 of the right, U.S. The, Constitution, the which is the secession of the U.S. presidency. If you do not have a passing interest in U.S. politics, this book will bore you to tears. And, and, I, have. Know, I did review this on the site, and, and I, there was a point where I, I read the book, and I thought to myself, this would make a better movie than a book. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm walking all over anything I've ever said in life <sighs> I don't even about think it would books make a and movies. Movie. I think if, if you were to take out some of the politics, if you were to take out some of the, the politics, this, the whole secession thing, and I know that the, 
It's titled. It's directed half people. the book. <laughs> I understand that, Chris. I'm just saying a, a screenwriter could take John Barnes' novel, which I enjoyed, and make it in, uh, and reduce it to the you know hour and forty five minutes that a movie takes, and this could be a blockbuster. And, and I, I think it could do very well as a film. Great. Is it? It, what you're saying is it gets too political? It gets too. That's exactly what I'm saying. It gets profoundly political. The, the second half of the book is basically a squabble over who's the rightful president, and the American nearly ends up in uh, World War or sorry, Civil War number two. I've, I've either of you guys read uh, World War Z? No. 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 Is, okay. that, is that a zombie thing? It's a zombie thing, but it's in nice. the same vein where the world sort of destroys itself, and it's done sort of by anecdote and chronology, and they're sort of they're not connected. It's not a complete plot. Uh, it's just the story of the world sort of destroying itself. And the guy who wrote World War Z modeled the book on um, oral histories of World War II. Okay. So, you know, veterans would tell their stories and then collectively they told, they gave sort of an impression of World War II. It was the same thing with World War Z. It, I mean, it was, a, it was a fun book. It was fantastical, right? But this book is somewhat similar. It, it's an episodic, anecdotal, chronological sort of uh, impression of the world and now is it, I can't remember now. Directive Fifty One is from the Constitution. Yeah, it's yes. the U.S. Constitutional. It's the part that says who it becomes the president. You know, who, yeah. So honestly, the second half of the book is a squabble about who becomes president, and there's nearly civil war in the U.S. The book really ends in this, you know, super jingoistic, you know, rockets red glare uh, finish. Yes, Greg. Well, I'm just asking: at what point in time does it become relevant if there's an American Civil War when the, it, you're telling me in the first 200 pages the, the world blows itself up? Basically, exactly. Oh, I mean, and how I'm talking. That... I'm, see, this is what I, I what I liked about the book was it spectacularly destroyed itself. I mean, we we got into like fusion bombs and like EMP it's... pulses, like like the world catastrophically implodes. Right. And the book, the author it... chose to focus on America and chose to right. focus on the conflict. Well, he's, he's American, and right. he is American. But when you're reforming society, what's more important than who's in charge? Like everyone wants to be in charge. Can you imagine the the gangs in L.A. and well, and and everyone who has a gun wants to be in charge? Anybody read uh, The Road, Cormac McCarthy? I have not. I have not. So here's another end of the world book that focuses entirely on the relationship of a man and his son. Okay. I mean, this story can be told from a whole pile of different angles. John C. Barnes chose to to narrate it from the perspective of the conflict for the secession of the presidency. Right. You know, in World War Z, it was it was more about a, a reminiscence about the end of the world as seen through veterans, right? I mean, the, the story of the end of the world can be told a bunch of different ways. This was John C. Barnes. I loved, I loved the destruction of the world. That was very novel. It was, it was very carefully plotted. It was, very, it was extremely educational. It was very technical, but it was very American-centric. And as we said last week, Paul, characters, characters, characters. Characters, 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 yes. No one really gripped me in this one. Yeah. Would really, I be better really, off? You know what? I actually found that, so, so, sorry, Greg, to interrupt you, but so some, some of these characters, I, I found it unique that, they weren't all. Brad Pitt could not play any one of the main characters. Neither could Angelina Jolie. I, I found that he did include some interesting, diverse, real people. You hit upon an interesting point. I think there were too many characters. Yeah, and sometimes and this that is why is there's no yes. leading role, right? And this is this comes back to sort of the structure of the thing, where it's more sort of analo- uh, anecdotal and chronological. Uh, and you're right; no major star gets to you know wave the flag at the end. I'll, I'll tell you one thing. After reading this uh, and after hearing uh, the promo he sent us, and uh, I want to read "Losers in Space" just because of the title. He's definitely he's got he's got an imagination. He did hold me for the whole book. Um, there were parts that, I, like I said, I think it would make a, a better film. I think if it was reduced to a screenplay, that a, a lot of this politics, like you're saying, be, maybe it's because we're Canadian. 
that we're not so interested in Directive 51 and the Constitution. How we about, don't give a crap who's the president. Of the how about States Red is. Storm Rising, John Clancy or uh, Tom Clancy? There's another end of the world book. Yeah, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy a lot of the the, the Clancy's are fun. See? Read it quick and you know throw it on the bin. You know, but that wasn't so you know Americentric right. as as John C. Barnes was. I'm still gonna check out Losers in Space just because of the title. I'll check out Losers <laughs> in Space too. I like that title as well. We want to thank all the constant readers for all your support so far. I mean, we were expecting to get a few listeners before the iTunes store, but not as many as we did in so many different countries. Thank you, America. Shukran, Saudi Arabia. Thank you, Australia. Thank you, Thailand. Thank you, UK. Danke, South Africa. Grazie, Italia. Obrigado, Brazil. Merci, France. Gracias, Mexico. Danke, Val, Netherlands. See you next week, everybody. Paul the Book Guy will return next week. Same book time, same book channel.